back to Your Average Witch, where we talk about witch life, witch stories, and sometimes a little witchcraft. Meet Aiden Swan. Aiden is a creator in myriad forms, including clothing design, baking, and painting. She's now designing the tarot of Arcana Verte, pulling from her love of history, cave art, and the flora and fauna of South Africa, where she lives. In this episode, we talk about growing up with a poltergeist, living with the hat man, and how finding a baby bird at just the right time can change your life. Now let's get to the stories. Hi, Aiden. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) So please introduce yourself to everybody. Let us know who you are and where they can find you on the internet, what you do. So I'm Aiden Swan. My online identity, if you could call it that, is Arcana Verte. Um, I'm a wildlife artist and I create occult, mystical-based wildlife art. At the moment, I'm busy with a tarot deck, which is very unusual in that it only involves animals, no humans. And on the internet, you can find me YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Bahans, all of the places, not Twitter, as Arcana Verte, A-R-C-A-N-A-V-E-R-T-E. So for my listeners who hear birds, I Aiden have- is a bird lady. <laughs> I'm very much a bird lady. I've got two little mouse birds, Aubrey and Luna, who are sitting here with me and creating chaos and who are trying to eat my boyfriend's paint. He's sitting in the background painting. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I was going through your Instagram. Okay, the way I met you is that my best friend, Anne, is actually, you're with her brother. (laughs) (laughs) that's the easiest way of putting it (laughs) so she said you know it turns out I'm not the only one who's kind of got some witchy stuff going on and she told me about you so I looked you up and I fell in love with your art because it is beautiful but as I was scrolling through do you have a hornbill I used to I miss her so much her name was Bob I used to (laughs) bird rescue um I've Raised, looked after, rehabilitated um, probably over 200 birds of about 60 different species. Bob was one of my absolute favorites. She passed away about five years ago. I would not say no if I was offered another one, (laughs) (laughs) even if they are hard work and unbelievably messy. Yeah, that's that's that and the noise are why I just cannot with birds. But my husband loves them. He he would love a hornbill. Hornbills make awesome noises. They're not screechy like parrots. They just sort of duck, 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 duck. And the mouse birds are really nice. But (laughs) parrots, I will never have another parrot in my life. (laughs) (laughs) He used to work at the Houston Zoo, and there was a hornbill there that made friends with him. And so I don't know what kind. A, a big one bigger it looks i think it was bigger than than bob probably a silver silver cheek or one of those bob was tiny she was like maybe four five inches tall excluding her tail she was very little it it seemed like it in the pictures but yeah it was like like the size of a duck <laughs> oh okay yeah probably 
probably one of the the big Asian ones, or yeah, the silver silver cheek is a lot bigger. They're enormous. Oh no, hornbills are the best. <laughs> to mouse birds, sorry guys. <laughs> Now, what brought you into wildlife art and how did it connect with your practice? Well, it's obviously quite a long story. I had basically been brought up to be an artist and, of course, I decided screw that and I went into fashion design and opened up a whole couturier, which I had for 18 years. And when my business started to crash, I very much started feeling the draw to go back to painting. I mean, I'd, I'd really missed it. I hadn't painted for nearly two decades. And I used, in some ways, used my business failing as an excuse to get back into art, but it was more that... I felt that I should be in art and at much the same time I was moving and opening myself back up to the occult because I'd also been very much in the closet with that and had closed myself off to it for a long time for various reasons and it just all happened at the same time. So I started painting again, and as I started painting, the side of me that I had closed off to just opened up. And the more I painted, the more my art veered towards a more mystical side. And I started painting my dreams. Mm. So it's, it's very much gone gone from there. I mean, there there now is no longer any difference between my life and my practice and my art, it's all one. Oh, I love that. So it's, yeah, it's just been, it's been a journey that's culminated in this and it's, I'm, I'm living my dream in every possible way. Oh, good. Do you call yourself a witch? Um, I don't particularly call myself a witch. A lot of other people do. I don't really label myself. Um, what I do is probably rather odd and off-center. I haven't found anyone else who works in the same way I do. Um, I've got very much a primitivist sort of um, sympathetic magic bent to my work. Um, I work through my art and through creating things rather than spoken word spells and that kind of thing like most people tend to. I don't work with sigils or any of the the things that seem to be quite popular now. So um, I'm mostly inspired by ancient art, Neolithic, what little we know about Neolithic practices, that kind of thing. Hmm. So Where did you learn about those? I'm fascinated by history, and I will admit that, sure, most of it is probably stuff that has been sort of made up by my head through throughout my childhood, throughout my adulthood. I mean, a lot of it's probably inspired by fiction. It's, But 
as far as I can, I do research history and love history. And in studying art, I've studied ancient art and cave art is a particular interest of mine. Now, the reason I ask that, you live in South Africa, right? Yeah, I do. Okay. So I don't know what the like mainstream religions are. I know very little about South Africa, to be honest, because I just ignorant American. <laughs> what does it cause trouble for you, problems for you that you have this this sort of alternative belief system? Um it used to, it would have. Um, if I had have let on what I was interested in when I had my fashion company, it definitely would have, because my clientele were very conservative. Think of market brides. Really? Um, yeah. I saw the clothes you made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. <laughs> and but now I've actually had such a positive response. South Africa, for the most, has so much of. I mean, occult, unusual kind of belief systems compared to a lot of other places. I don't know very much about African belief systems, to be perfectly honest. It's not my forte. So I'm not even going to try and go there. But Sangomas are, they're a thing here. It's not frowned upon. Do you have any daily practices that you do? Well, considering that my art is my practice, I would say yes. Um, in terms of more traditional stuff, I meditate every day before I go to bed because it does help with connecting to my dreams, which is where my art comes from. And... <laughs> Yeah, Aubrey's always got to have his his moment. <laughs> I I do sitting and meditating and chatting to my whatever you'd call them ancestors, guides, spirits, um, gratitude or ranting, depending on how my day's gone to in his bed. But it's predominantly working through my art, be it my painting, be it making jewellery, be it what I, whatever I'm doing. That is my practice and my connection. And I'm very much nature-based, so it's also walking in nature, connecting to nature. Now, you said you were raised to be an artist, which sounds amazing. <laughs> But did you do you have any family history with this sort of lifestyle that you live now where you bring the mystical stuff in? Um, or were they more traditional? It's a bit of a yes and no. Um, so being raised to be an artist is much like being raised to be a lawyer or a doctor or anything else our parents raise us to be. Um, if, is it? Yes. If you are I can't imagine. Thing, you do not want to do it. So I was told from the age of like four or five that I was going to be an artist and that was that. And I was not given a choice in the matter. I was not allowed 
to choose to study what I wanted okay, to Okay, yeah, that would make me furious no matter what it was. <laughs> that was why I went to the opposite extreme, which in my, my family was fashion design, because vanity and fashion was pretty much <laughs> a boo to my parents, who were hippies at that stage. <laughs> oh, it's funny to think. It's funny to think of hippies who, uh, when I think of them, they have this sort of watery, airy, do what you want to do feel, who are like, you're going to be an artist. My, my That's interesting. weird one. He, at that stage, he had his hippie bent, but he was also... They were both brought up very conservative and pretty, as far as I understand, pretty upper-middle-class families. So their hippiedom was to go against their parents. So he also has always had this very staunch, you will do as I do and listen to what I say regardless. So it was that sort of odd mix of... That's a weird dichotomy. <laughs> it's a very weird dichotomy. He's now, for the past long time, been a hardcore businessman. So he's totally Whoa. anti what that all was then. But it was a very, very strange upbringing. My mother had a very pagan bent in my early childhood. Um, my father's always been an atheist. So until... I was probably about six or seven. There was that very mystical pagan Celtic bent to my upbringing. My my father then made her sort of rescind the whole thing, so the rest of my childhood was spent spent fighting against all of these beliefs that had been awakened. But that I was feeling that I wasn't allowed to sort of to show. But she taught me to read the I Ching when I was six, so it's kind of I I had had all of that. And, I mean, our house was full of books, fantasy books, and esoteric and history, and you name it, it was there. We I grew up in a house of books that I was allowed to read whatever I wanted. There were books of every possible subject, a lot of fantasy, a lot of Celtic myths and legends, pretty much you name it, it was there. And nothing was taboo, but my parents were always very anti, well, my father in particular was very anti any form of religion. We had a poltergeist in the house who oh. was very well known, but we were not allowed to speak of him. My father always was like, oh, that's absolute bullshit. I don't want to hear about that and just cut off any any conversation surrounding it, regardless of how weird things got. What did it do? Um, a the story I tell everybody is one day when my my parents and my sister and I were in the kitchen and we were doing the dishes and my my sister was talking about the poltergeist. My father threw his normal hissy fit. And my sister was holding this enormous glass platter that literally exploded in her hands. The second my father, my father basically said, oh, if he's there, he must prove himself. And oh. this platter exploded. 
And I mean, it exploded <laughs> to the point where when my father and my sister moved out of that house years and years and years later, I moved out much earlier. They found bits of this platter like behind the fridge. He then, my sister ran screaming down the hall and this poltergeist locked her in the bathroom, the door of which was properly and definitely didn't lock, locked her in for about three hours. Oh, so <laughs> it, why didn't he mess with your dad? <laughs> I think that he knew that no matter what he did to my father, there was just going to be sort of like, yeah, fuck you, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. I do. Have yeah, to that's fine. That's perfectly okay. fine. I swear too. Yeah, but I just no, haven't gotten anything that makes me mad yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's he was never malicious. But it was a lot of moving stuff around and bouncing stuff around and locking doors, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And with me, I often felt him sitting on the side of my bed, touching my hair, things like that. We we always had dogs, big dog sensations, and they would pretty frequently flip out and sort of. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> love it, sort of. Sorry, I bounced Love over. hearing about it. Don't want it to happen to me. <laughs> it was never scary. I mean, I, I lived in a house much later in life when I had my company, which did have some very frightening entities in it. And it was during a part of my life when I was pretty much in full breakdown mode and was completely helpless against them too. So oh. yeah, he this this entity was never nasty, never had any bad anything about him. Where these entities in the house in Parkhurst were a totally different story. I had people who were not of any form of occult leanings come into the house and say that it had an aura of sadness. It was a depressed house. It was a wicked house. The guy who moved in after I moved out spent like six months trying to find my phone number. Oh. Hold of me to find out. And this is someone who had never believed in any anything, saying, what on earth is up with this house? And I had like, a three-hour phone call with him saying, this is the thing, it's not going to get me better. <laughs> <laughs> the first night he and his his husband moved in, apparently their cat ran into the kitchen wall. Oh. And it just, yeah, made their lives a living hell. They moved out shortly after that phone call. I helped him get out of their lease. <laughs> oh. Do you think these things were formerly human or just things that the, were are from there? Um, I'm pretty sure that one of them was formerly human. Um, I had a friend who was who was a witch come into into the house and he chatted to to the one particular entity. And there was the one that was formerly human. The other one has been seen by a lot of people. Um, it's well recorded on the internet. I've spoken to a number of people who have seen it around the world, um, who's, re who's generally um, 
referred to as the hat man. Oh, that? That. That's the worst. Okay. That's the worst. (laughs) It was not fun. He was terrifying. I lived with him for seven years. Holy crap. Yeah. No, he, he was very, very, very frightening. Now, this is just conjecture here. I'm about to ask you a question. Sure. <laughs> do you think that it is one thing that's just occupying different areas, or do you think there are lots of them? Um, probably both, just to complicate That's the worst. Matters. That's the worst. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's enough people who've had identical experiences to me um, to say that it's probably the same entity that can occupy different places at the same time rather than there being, because surely if there were lots of them, there'd be differences. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's if it's a multi, multi-dimensional thing. Oh, that's the worst. I wish I hadn't asked. <laughs> <laughs> I have not run into anything like that. My husband has, but I have not. And I want to keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you really don't want to go there. I mean, with the knowledge I've got now, I could have dealt with him. But with how I was then, I was a mess. I mean, I had a, this was up until 20, end of 2016. Um, 2015, I had a full mental breakdown. I blacked out on the highway. And this was in the midst of me attempting to put myself back together from that. And I've got oh. this idiot in his fucking hat keeping me away from <laughs> just Man, I bet if he heard you talking about it, he would get kind of mad. <laughs> I mean, I just did not have the mental wherewithal to deal with him. I was in a terrible space in my relationship at the time too. And he's known as well to be coming into difficult relationships. Yeah. So it was just, it was not pleasant. I mean, my business was falling apart. My relationship was falling apart. I was in the midst of a monstrous court case, very, very difficult court case. And I was chronically sleep-deprived and very, very sick. And this thing just, he feeds off of all of that. That's why yeah. was- oh, This is unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of the things that brought me back to the occult. <laughs> After 10 years of shutting myself off. Hmm. <laughs> Because, which was because of my mother's schizophrenia. Um, she was, oh, what's the word, diagnosed with schizophrenia in my, my 20s. And I was afraid that my interest in the occult meant that my brain was as cooked as hers. So yeah. I shut off, off completely for years. And it was only during that time when things got really gnarly that I started coming back to it because I realized like, hey, this isn't me. This is us. <laughs> well good. <laughs> so it was it was nice in a way. <laughs> yeah. 
just like reassuring. No, exactly. I mean, all of these things take you to where you're meant to be, no matter how awful they are at the time. They're they're pushing you to where you should be. What would you say is your best, the the experience you look back on, the most fondly occult experience? Um. Oh, that's a complicated one, actually. I don't know about fondly, but the most powerful occult experience I had was a number of years ago, was shortly after. So the court case was about my ex and I had bought this house and the sale had gone sideways and it was to get us this house. And we eventually managed, we won the court case, moved into this place and things went just totally fell apart in that one. And I did a New Year's Eve ritual to bring me a new life and a better life because I was seeing no way out of the mess that I'd gotten myself into. And I did this whole thing where, I mean, it was, I can't even explain what I did or what happened, but it, it, got me a new life and the most insane thing was that it was done around the swimming pool that had been that was in the yard of that house which was pretty much a swamp it was a, a beautiful I mean full of frogs and reeds and all sorts of stuff and the water was completely black you could not oh. see the bottom. we had no idea how deep this thing actually was oh. and the next day the pool was clear. Whoa. Okay. I mean, I remember... That would bother me. <laughs> the people that I lived with, both of whom were atheists, were walking around the garden the next day, and I remember hearing um, my, my friend who... He had been my ex. I was living with my ex and his new girlfriend. It was absolutely fine by that stage, but... Yeah, he he was just shouting to his girlfriend, come and look at the pool. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that was probably my most powerful, physically powerful experience that actually immediately saw something happened. It took another probably a year before things changed to the point where I could say that they were really looking up. So I, I at that stage desperately needed to move out of that house to get a place of my own. I had no income. I'd lost my company. I wasn't making money out of my art yet. Couldn't find, couldn't figure out a way up. I was chronically depressed. And within four months I'd found myself a little place in totally different to what I I'd expected but and I was making enough money to support myself my boyfriend now he and I had been together a short while we were doing really well and things were looking great and then within a year I had moved or it was just over a year um moved down to Cape Town where I live now to this life that I couldn't 
possibly have imagined a year prior, making props for international movies. It's like just mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. I guess that's sort of that was sort of a we heard you, it'll just take a little while. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. <laughs> but so yeah, I, I look back on that incredibly fondly, even if there was still some very, very difficult time. What would you say is your worst like when I say worst, what I'm actually looking for, because it sounds like you have some unpleasant things that have happened to you, um, like dumb things that you think, oh, this turned out dumb as hell. <laughs> um, the dumbest I'm not going to speak about at all. <laughs> okay. That is plain, stupid, arrogant, dumb that we all do. But yeah, um, the worst is actually when nothing happened. When I had, particularly during that very difficult point with the hat man, when I was trying to start putting things back together and I would put my heart and soul and everything into doing a thing and just nothing. It's like, and then I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, this is all nonsense. And who am I kidding? And yeah, I'm behaving like a little 13 year old that is like someone off the TV show, this stuff's not real, all of that kind of thing, and just all of the doubts. So the worst is definitely when nothing happens. Yeah. And there was a lot of that. <laughs> it was only when I fixed my mental health that it started really working. And after that, it was only when I started being true to myself and not trying to copy things out of books, off the internet, what other people said I should be doing, and just worked totally intuitively that things really went well and that I've really found my practice and how I should be, should be working. I found that the more I, I read and the more I try and do things correctly, the less it works. Huh. I, okay, I love that. <laughs> to thine own self be true, etc. Exactly. And I've got no problem with anybody practicing however they want. My To answer one of the other questions, um, the thing I hate the most about the occult community is the gatekeeping. You do you. And whatever that means, if it works for you, do it. And yes, it is a chaos magic bent, which I know is frowned upon a lot. Why? But, um, Just, I, mean, I don't understand why people have such beef with that. Well, people have beef with everything. I mean, I've got a friend who is very traditionally witchy who has serious beef with the fact that I don't believe in the law of three. So whatever's that's a happen, Wiccan principle. Not everybody's Wiccan. That's like being mad. Not everybody's Christian. That's it. But people have beef with whatever is different to what they do. So it's just whatever works for you, do it. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about what other people are going to think. Don't worry about 
um, what's that cultural appropriation or whatever, obviously be respectful, but do what is within your soul. I'm thinking. When I don't talk, I'm just, it's because I'm thinking really hard. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> like I have to have let it process. Yeah, no, it's all good. Okay. And I've had some pretty fiery discussions about all this with people. <laughs> it's, it's weird to me that someone would get mad that the, the rule of three thing just drives me crazy because I don't. One, it doesn't make scientific sense to me. <laughs> no, because that's not how the like the principles of thermodynamics and Newton. That just doesn't work like that. No, but I mean, none of what any of us do works according to the law of thermodynamics. It might. It might. We just well, don't understand it all yet. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. But we can't. <laughs> any of us actually say this thing does this and I think yeah exactly whatever you believe in it's going to work that way for you so the law of three works for my friend because that is how his belief system works it does not work for me because that is not my belief system and the same for whatever oh it bothers me when guests give me epiphanies now it's going to hurt my head <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought, oh, duh. <laughs> of course, if you're doing the energy work, it's going to depend on how you do it. So, crap. I'm also not saying that I'm right. I may well be completely. Yeah, but that it does make sense. So, that you're right now with me because I believe it. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I've also had things happen that I did not believe in before they happened. So. Yes, like acupun acupuncture with me. <laughs> ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I was dating this dude and I was like, he was like, oh yeah, blah, blah. I went to China and I got certified in whatever. And I was like, oh, good for you. Yeah, great. Go make money off people that believe what you do. But then he did acupuncture on me and it actually worked. And I was like, oh crap, now I have to believe something. <laughs> That's awesome. It kind of is. <laughs> I can't afford to go get acupuncture. <laughs> well, oxypins are pretty cheap. You just sort of stick them in until something happens. <laughs> it's, Home it's kit. Interest yet? So <laughs> I've been stuck by many pins. <laughs> yeah, yeah just you're sewing and you jam them in. Oh, here's a meridian. Let me just take care of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my um, my uh, chiropractor used to, she tried doing acupuncture in my shoulders once, and my body actually forced the needles out. It was oh, like, oh, that's no. <laughs> so she stuck with shoving her thumb in my shoulders, which hurt a lot more. Bodies are so weird. They are very weird. Well, shifting track a little bit, what would you say is your biggest motivator in your practice? Um, probably to be able to keep on doing what I what I do. 
to be able to continue doing my art because I found the thing that I should be doing and the thing that I love more than anything and the thing that feels right after so many years of fighting against it. So it's to be able to carry on doing that. And, I mean, it's it's enriched my life in ways that I couldn't possibly have imagined. And I'm sure it will continue to do that. So the biggest motivator is to just to live and to live as I am. Yeah. I relate to that. Now you mentioned that you, when things, when nothing happened, that was the worst. And you yeah. brought up a bunch of doubt and, and like, does, would you call it imposter syndrome? How did you deal with that? Um, yeah, probably imposter syndrome is the best way of dealing with it. And it's something that I think that everybody deals with. Um, I get it less and less now, which is really awesome since I'm now mostly successful, as successful as I can imagine being with, with what I do. Um, but I still, I still have my moments and the best thing to do is to go and sit down and have a cup of tea and a good walk and do something else, watch a YouTube video, read a book, do something totally unrelated and try again. I think that's the easiest and the best and the simplest. I mean, pushing through things generally doesn't work for anything, be it exercise or life or art or esoterica. Hmm. What do you most want to get out of your practice? Um, well, predominantly to be able to keep on doing what I'm doing and to connect with people through my art, which is what I'm, I'm doing. And I mean, it's been absolutely incredible seeing people's response to my work. I've, it's so humbling. It's just mind blowing to me when I get these messages from people just telling me that my work has touched them and their personal experiences with what my work has brought out in them or things related to my work, experiences with creatures that I've painted, that this painting that I've done makes them think of this very deeply moving experience that they had. And it's just every time that happens, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah it's just it's amazing and to be able to keep on doing that I've always had difficulty connecting with people and I'm not a people person so this has been a total epiphany for me oh that makes me happy because I while I play a social person on the internet I hate talking to people in real life yep it's scary. <laughs> yeah. I really don't like it. <laughs> we have the, we have, we both have the freedom to click off of here if we absolutely need to. That's it. And that's very comforting and safe. <laughs> yes. 
But the other thing is the ability to connect with people everywhere. I mean, exactly. I up, You're in a whole other continent. <laughs> that's it. I grew up pre-internet. The internet only yes. happened when I was in college, and I only got the internet when I was like twenty-one or so. I was twenty-five. Yeah, so it's like you've got to growing up connecting with people the old way and really struggling, never actually making friends. And then suddenly there's a whole world out there and you meet these unbelievable people from all over the world that you've got stuff in common with. It's, I mean, people can say what they want about social media. For me, it's been the most incredibly positive experience. Me Just too. Someone... Because I, I said, yeah, like, blah, blah, before the internet. And somebody said, oh, yeah, was it really great back then? And I was like, no. <laughs> it was lonely and miserable. And I couldn't find anything. Yes. Without a lot of, like, actual physical going to a place and talking to people. Which I just, yeah. I don't, I almost can't do it. No, I I totally understand that. I mean, up until I was about 19, I was one of those people who was so introverted and so neurotic that I couldn't even look at the cashier in the supermarket yep. and say hi to her. Yeah, I never know what our waiter looks like because I don't look at them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... I think we all got a lot more done before the internet, but the the ability for introverted people to find their place is just spectacular. Yeah. And we're not the weird old spinsters living up on a hill somewhere because we can actually meet some people. Yes. <laughs> what would you say is your biggest struggle with your practice? Um... Remaining true to myself, because again, there's the imposter syndrome thing. And the South African arts community is difficult. I mean, if you've ever seen my Facebook, you probably see me rant about galleries and the arts community, that I have been unable to have a solo show or really to have my work shown because Anything that isn't seen as conceptual art, i.e. having like a milk can in the middle of a room that means child rape or whatever, is not thrown <laughs> in this country. It needs to be conceptual political. And so I go and I see a gallery or whatever and I show them my work and they're like, oh, we don't do symbolic art. We don't do occult art. We don't do mystical art. We don't do this. We don't do that. So... My my biggest thing has been continuing to do my work that I know is good, that I love, that has a place, but then being told by literally 40 galleries that I suck. Ridiculous. <laughs> yep. So that for me is it. <laughs> knowing Knowing that... What I'm doing is right, but being told that I should be doing something else because what I'm doing is not acceptable where I am. But 
I no longer care, to be honest. I'll have the odd wobble, but um, because of, as I say, the joy of the internet, I've managed to find a whole other way of doing things. And weirdly enough, COVID has been really good for that because the gallery, whole gallery thing has pretty much fallen apart in this country and yep. probably internationally. Yeah. So most many of us have had to find new ways of doing things and new ways of showing our art and the internet has been it. So I've been making videos and learning to make videos, which I could not have done without Tom, who's been amazing showing me to edit. He's a filmmaker. Mm. And just getting my work out in different ways that I think I would have been too hung up on getting my work in a gallery before COVID to try. So it's just finding, so it's possibly I've got a bit of a resistance to change and that's probably a good answer to that question too, that being less resistant to change <laughs> is quite difficult. <laughs> And learning to change is difficult but important and something I'm slowly learning to do. I don't like it. <laughs> None of us do, but it it is something that especially now we need to learn to do. Yeah. I just wish otherwise. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but also, if I had a refuse to change, I would still be miserable, broke, in debt, in a shitty relationship with someone who isn't a bad person but is just the wrong person for me and I was the wrong person for him, and just in sort of mentally, totally just not what I am now. I wouldn't be me. I would still be that sad, broken person. So I'm really happy that change is a thing. Yeah. That's something I have to remind myself. When I'm fighting, like, f just fighting, because I don't want the new thing, and then it's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. You've got to fight against it a little bit just to show you can fight. Yeah. Because, you know, the the... I so fall for reverse psychology because I'm an yeah. idiot. I don't know. <laughs> but if you want me to do something, you got to tell me not to do it. I'm like that too. <laughs> Whatever I'm told to do, I will fight against tooth and nail. Yeah. <laughs> As in my art career. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Eventually it took 86 spider bites. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've one of my patrons is the weaver. And during the last years of my well, the last years, I mean it got more and more and more intense as the years went on. Um she was trying to push me to do art and the more I resisted the more I got bitten by spiders and it was literally 86 and a five year that's period. terrible and well that was me I mean I know you apparently needed it but I don't want that 
<laughs> but I'm probably resistant to spider toxin now, and I'm still waiting for my spidey powers. <laughs> but the second I quit my fashion company and started painting, it stopped. Well, now what kind of dumb crap is happening to me that I'm supposed to listen to? <laughs> You'll figure it out. What the heck? <laughs> this is the most frustrating interview I've had so far, because I keep... <laughs> the epiphany interview. <laughs> Stop it right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'll make stuff up from now Yeah, but the universe is going to make it something that I'm supposed to hear, apparently. <laughs> that is what the universe does to <laughs> Just do it without hurting so much. Jeez. I'll li I'll probably won't listen, so I guess you have to. <laughs> I've, I've had two bites in the intervening three years, and they were both when I started sort of going a bit off track and stopped believing myself and started being like, oh, maybe I should rather try this or that or the next thing. Really, though, I am going to, I'm going to have to look back and see what this is. <laughs> That's interesting. That is going to bother me for a long time now. <laughs> What's something you wished was discussed more in the, in the occult community? <laughs> well, I... Yeah, I don't do the community things. I don't know. Actually, I wish that people would stop discussing things and start doing. Oh. Because a lot of people seem to just talk and complain, but not actually do anything. That is a cool answer. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, would you, how would you say environment has shaped your practice? Like if you lived somewhere else, do you think it would be different? Um, well, in terms of another country, I think, I don't know. Um, so I'm not African in my thought process and I'm not very South African to be perfectly honest. I haven't lived anywhere else in the world, and I only got to travel out of the country the first time two years ago. But I'm not not really South African. So I think that anywhere else in the world I lived, I would be very similar, and my practice would be the same. Maybe it would have taken me longer or less long to get to the same point as I am now, but I don't think it would have made any or very much difference. Prior to where I'm now, I'm so fortunate. Cape Town is spectacular, as you've probably seen in my my Instagram. I mean, it's ocean, mountains. It is... It looks like the ideal. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's probably the most beautiful city you can imagine. And before this, I lived in Joburg, which is hyper-industrial, like just huge concrete... Yes, there is a lot of nature in the right places. Um, it is a very beautiful city in its own way, but it's very different. And the last place that I lived was Mabening, which is in the city centre. There wasn't a tree for miles. It was this 
almost dystopian, post-apocalyptic, think Blade Runner. I would wither. Kind of city. And in some ways I did wither, but in other ways it was fascinating because I got to explore my connection to nature in a totally different way. So it was going up onto the roof of my apartment block, which were, there were these wonderful, very post-industrial ex-factories that had been converted into small, small lofts and just concrete floors. The walls had been left there. They were perfect, exactly what I needed. I could make as much mess and noise as I wanted. And I go onto the roof and just talk to the swallows that were flying past or just look at the sky. And if I wanted to go for a walk in nature, I'd have to drive six kilometers, which took me about half an hour because the traffic was so bad. So I would go to a park that was six kilometers away whenever I could, which made me really appreciate the green spaces and have made me really, really appreciate what I've got now. So it's just all of these things are important because they all change your perceptions. I built a garden inside. I had a friend draw holes in the roof so that I could suspend hanging baskets in my apartment with plants because I didn't have a balcony or anything. I needed greenery, so I built an indoor forest. Are are those the pictures with the big windows? Is that where those were taken? Um, um, Like up in a sky? I don't know. I just remember seeing pictures through great big windows, and you were kind of like high up. Um, I think that's the apartment that... Tom and I live in now. Um, oh, yeah. That's lovely. Yeah, it is lovely. Anything, this, the apartment that I was talking about was two and a half years ago. So ah. it was quite a while back. But yeah, the, the pictures that you've, you've seen anytime sooner than that is the apartment we're in now, which is, it's beautiful. Those windows are dreamy. Oh, they are wonderful. They're also, we also don't have a balcony, so we've built a little indoor forest here too. Do you celebrate any holidays? Um, when I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and generally not on time. <laughs> so I love the idea of Lamas, particularly because I'm a former baker. Um, well, I'm still a baker. I'm just not a professional baker anymore. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I I love the idea of Lamas and Imbolc and Baltane and all of the old holidays. But I generally forget. So <laughs> when when we remember, we go downstairs or we and we make fire or whatever we feel like doing. Um, you can I, have a fire. Well, we've we've got a there's a downstairs area with a braai, what you guys call barbecue, um, a braai area and a swimming pool, which is really lovely. So we can we can make small fire there. And I do a ritual upstairs or in the or in the forest, which is nearby, but it's usually two or three days later. 
Who would you say are the big, the three biggest influencers on your practice? Um, I doesn't have to be human; can be animals. Um, I don't know because it changes totally. So they, there's no one or nothing that is really consistent. I mean, my at the moment, my big creature is the vulture, symbol of rebirth. And pretty much everything that I'm doing right now is about rebirth and shape-shifting. My entire tarot set seems to be, the theme seems to be rebirth and shape-shifting and becoming what you need to be. So I'd say probably vulture. Um, I would say some probably imaginary kind of Neolithic come Iron Age person who, I don't know, um, just some some ancient historical person who painted amazing things on a cave wall. <laughs> and probably Tom for inspiring me and influencing me and believing in me Aww. and allowing me to be what I am and who I am. That's the best. It is, and he is. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, influence because I'm I'm not a part of any community and I'm, to be honest, not very well read and don't follow influencers or celebrities or anything like that. Um, that would be pretty near impossible to answer if it had to be a, a person. But my my main influence is the beauty of historical art and the beauty of nature. And for listeners, if you go to her Instagram, scroll down about 18 rows, you will see the <laughs> gorgeous uh, death card that she made with a vulture. And you need to go look. Thank you. And there's also the other, I think I've done five more since then. There is, I've done Death, I've done The Fool, I've done The Empress, Empress, sorry, I've done The Ace of Wands, um, The Magician's Coming. I've oh. almost done The Magician. And there are videos for each of them, which are getting better and better and better. If you haven't seen, have a look at my video for um, the, the Ace of Wands, which is the most recent one. And you'll get a bit of an idea about how environment influences oh my work because it's all about the local flora about proteas and about famous and just beautiful beautiful botanical things i have just been drawn to vultures this year so mm. i so see them everywhere like constantly Lately, like this year, I see them everywhere, and Ooh. the card just speaks to me. Oh wow! <laughs> well, that is that is wonderful because he's still my favorite. I mean, it it was so weird because when I decided to do the tarot deck, and I don't I don't read tarot, 
for context. I'm learning as I go along. I never really intended to learn to read tarot. I just thought it would be a really interesting thing for me to do as an artist. So I decided that I would randomly draw a new card from the old Raider White Rider weight deck each time, and that would be the next card that I do. And the first card that I drew was death. And I was like, ha, my beastie. <laughs> of course you want to be first <laughs> because he is my main creature. And that's a really awesome one. I'm so it's so awesome to hear that he speaks to you too. Things like that make me so excited. That is so exciting. He will take you where you need to go. He's amazing. Well, I'm trying to hear. <laughs> yeah. I've I've even got him painted on my drum. Oh. So, so now that you've experienced this and understand what the show is about, who would you like to hear? me talk to next i have a friend whose name is amon or christopher salvatore who's also an unbelievable artist he's very different to me um he i think that he would be wonderful or i think my other friend tommy kelly who did the 40 servants pack would be absolutely wonderful um yeah, I think that either of them are awesome, awesome matches and very interesting peoples for you to talk to. Yeah, put them on my list. <laughs> I can send you their social links. Yes, this. please. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think that both of them artists, both of them super different, really fascinating people um, that you'll have a lot of fun with. Now, the two surprise questions. Mm -hmm. First one. Please recommend something to the listeners. Oh, um, absence. Oh, um, yeah, that's sort of my my little. My advice. <laughs> advice that Tom and I also connected over. Um, not like normal alcohol, just calms you out, mellows you, opens you up to various, I mean, to your dreams, to, to your visions, to whatever you need to be. I mean, there's a reason that it was so popular with artists and the good stuff is delicious. And no, it's not going to make you blind or deaf. <laughs> You're safe. Vincent van Gogh basically drank the absence version of like paint, antifreeze, <laughs> literally antifreeze. That Great. is why he went mad <laughs> because he was broke. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> the other one would be to bake. I'm, oh. I'm, a massive, I'm a massive kitchen witch. And connecting with people through food is a huge thing for me. Me too. 
So, yeah, cook, bake, make people yummies, make them happy. Although I'm crap at baking because they tell you what to do. And I'm like, I don't want to use three tablespoons. I want to use honey. <laughs> and then it's ruined. I can cook, but I'm very bad at baking. <laughs> the The rule with baking is that you need to learn the rules and then you know how to bend them because it is equal parts science and alchemy. <laughs> But as soon as you know the rules, you can do amazing things. That I do love baked goods. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, bake, baking is kind of like partially doing exactly what you're told, but also partially praying and begging to the god of beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Those, those would be my two things. <laughs> but if you can't bake and you just cook, that is just as good because more often than not, people are great at one but not the other. It's just food, connect through food. Food is, food is happy. <laughs> now, the last thing, I would like you to tell me a story that you enjoy telling. It's like your go-to. I don't care what it's about. Oh, um, I'm, I'm not really a storyteller. It's something that I am relearning because I'm relearning everything after years of being a basically straight up scientific kind of person. So I don't know. The, my best story would be probably how, how many. Aubrey. Aubrey is my mouse bird, who you still hear screaming at the hardy dog in the background. He and I have been companions for nearly eight years now, and he was a very, very sick baby in my front yard who I, he was three weeks old, he was almost dead, and he and I basically saved each other's lives. He gave me someone to live for, and I nursed him back to health. And eight years later, here we are, and we have Tom and Luna as a part of our wonderful family. And he's he's brought everything that I have now together. So it's been, yeah, he's he's helped me to create my family and my life and to bring the amazing people who are in my, my life to me. It's fascinating how they can do that. It is. They because are... you found a bird, a wild bird in your yard and that suddenly you have all this. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. Beasties, beasties are, the best. They are our connection to everything. I am so glad Anne told me to look you up. <laughs> well, <thank> you. <laughs> it's been amazing, amazing talking to you. Thank you so, so much for talking to me. It's been wonderful. Well, thank you for being on the show. I've really had a good time. <laughs> thank you. Me too. And now I've got a lot of things I have to work on, which... Whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
well, the awesome thing is having stuff to work on because there's nothing worse than boredom. Yeah, I just <laughs> I thought I was done working on a bunch of stuff. Oh, well, surprise no. to me. <laughs> We're never done. I keep thinking I'm through with this thing and then it comes back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, we're here again. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's like, oh, you thought you were done. Okay. Did you think of this bit? <laughs> it's like, no, I didn't want to. It's uh, <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. You're absolutely, it was an absolute pleasure and an honor, and it's been incredible. <laughs> and I will see you on Instagram and around the internet. Definitely. Looking forward to it. Oh, good. <laughs> Bye. Um, Oops, sorry. Bye. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said I'll send you all of the links that I promised. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Well, then, bye. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Your Average Witch. You can find us all around the internet on Instagram at Your Average Witch Podcast, Twitter at Average Witch Pod, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Your Average Witch Podcast, at Your Average Witch Podcast.com, and at your favorite podcast service. Want to help the podcast grow? Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You just might hear your review read at the end of the next episode. If you'd like to recommend someone for the podcast, like to be on it yourself, or if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, send an email to youraveragewitchpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the moon changes. Moonchanges.